What's going on, everybody? I'm Mike. And this is Matthew. And welcome back to We Are the Batman. Today we're doing something, um, you know, it's, again, it's kind of like with this show. We're just coming up with new ideas, and this one's a little bit different. Um, we've had, you've listened to podcasts in the past where they've debated remaking a certain movie. Uh, but today, we're not going to remake a movie so much as we're going to re-sequel a movie. Yes. Uh, we're going to we're going to take another shot at creating a sequel for a movie, a Batman movie specifically. I know go figure. And <laughs> we're going to we're going to start off by uh m- making a new sequel to Matthew's Batman movie of choice. And which one is that? That is Batman Forever starring Val Kilmer as Batman. Um Odd choice. Um, I will admit it's a bit of an odd choice. I think of all the ones to oh, Okay. It's probably not that odd when you consider how bad the sequel to this movie actually is. Um, <laughs> if anything needs a new sequel, it is definitely this movie. Uh, so what, what was it that led you to choosing this movie to get a new sequel? I mean, honestly, up until the Nolan Batman movies, um, this was my favorite Batman of those first four. Uh, and then on top of that, even to this day, I mean, it's kind of a little in question because of the recent the Batman and what Pattinson did. But I still stand by. I think Val Kilmer played the character the most true to what the comic was at that time. It's a little you know, different when you go before that. But the whole idea of Batman dresses up as Bruce Wayne. And I think. Kilmer, whether he intentionally or unintentionally did that, I think he did the best version of that. Um, So this has always been my best movie, but I have also always said, or my favorite movie, but I've also always said like the Batman parts. (laughs) I will not defend any of the villains in this movie in any way, shape or form. They're horrible. What, how do you feel about Nicole Kidman's role in this movie? Uh, I think she does what she's supposed to. I don't, it's, it's this, this movie's kind of a mixed bag. Whereas I think it is the most Batman of any of the Batman movies of those first four. There's definitely odd decisions and he's treated like a James Bond character in that every movie, there's a different girl. And that's part of when we talk about my sequel that I'm going to change. I thought she did a good job. I mean, she's not asked to do much. Um, And given how much time is spent with all of the various villains and other characters in this movie, even if she did do a good job, it's on the cutting room floor. Mm -hmm. That, that, yeah. It's, it's interesting you say, because I think of very specific scenes in this movie where it's, it's clear they were trying to go for more of the, less damsel in distress um up to a certain point in the movie because it starts off with her being feisty and seductive and having this weird attraction to batman but we see her you know doing kickboxing and stuff in her office and and showing that she's you know kind of a badass a little bit you know like they were trying to pick up after that uh, the Michelle fight everything a little bit, but then in, in, in the, in the last third of the film, she just, she just turns into just another pretty girl for Batman to rescue. It's, it's, it's like they started to, and then they gave up. It, it, it is weird because there, I, and it's 
it's kind of weird to say this way. It's been a long time since I've watched this movie from beginning to end. But I remember at the end when they're getting attacked in Wayne Manor, she does kind of do stuff, but it also is like she's struggling and then Bruce Wayne slides across the table and kicks the dude who's touching her. So, you know, she's trying. (laughs) Yeah, I think it's that scene specifically where it's it's like, okay, and then it falls apart at the end and then it never gets back up. Correct. Yes. Um, So let's. Let's go ahead and get into this thing because I'm really curious to hear what you have in mind for. So let's. So we are now operating in a universe, ladies and gentlemen. This is the timeline where um, Batman and Robin didn't exist, and I want everyone to just 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 imagine for a second a world where Batman and Robin didn't exist. It's nice, right? It's a I, nice I, world to live in. It's a lovely world. Um. So let's. So now we are living in. Let's see. So Batman Forever came out in 1995. So. We're around like 1996, 1997, because uh, is where we're kind of sitting here, because it was when Batman and Robin came out was like 97. So that's the world we're living in now. And we have to create a sequel to Batman Forever in 1997 with the toys we have to play with. And and Matthew Hasso is the one to, uh, guiding us on this journey. Matthew, please. Yeah, so the the big thing, it's kind of funny. There's a couple different things I want to point out. Number one, this movie made $386 million, which was considered a bona fide hit and made more than the two previous Batman movies. That's 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 over three hundred million in nineteen ninety-five. Correct. So it's like <laughs> five hundred million now. Yeah. <laughs> but my point is that it's weird to think that a move if a movie, a combat movie made that money here, it'd be considered a flop. Um, for, for especially for a Batman movie, for a comic book movie, yes, in, in this day and age, like yeah, that's not unless that unless it was like Deadpool where it was made for like fifty million, yeah, that's that's nothing. Yeah, well, because this movie is so successful, they fast track a sequel because usually, so far before this movie, there had been three years between Batman movies. Um, you know, this is definitely during a time where they're not making a new movie every year when it comes to comic books, so. They fast track it and because they fast track it and they're trying to go after those dollars, they inundate Joel Schumacher with directives mm-hmm. and that's where you get Batman and Robin. So we're not even going to touch that. So my thing with this is that this is a Joel Schumacher who is allowed to do what he wants to do with a sequel. And so 97, 98 maybe is when he makes this movie. Okay. So it's always interesting that when I've done this kind of stuff in the past of like thinking about what actors were either up and coming or big at the time. And um, by the way, I, I found an inflation calculator online. If you convert that three hundred and thirty six point six million dollars to twenty twenty two, that is six hundred and thirty eight point five million dollars, which is around what Justice League made and was considered a complete and total failure. <laughs> Yeah, make that make sense. Anyway. Yeah, yeah. Um, So with that in mind, especially because through these first movies, a lot of the actors stay. I I am going to keep Pat Hingle as Gordon, even though I don't particularly like him, but he's been with the franchise. I'm going to keep him. Keep Michael Mm -hmm. Goh or Goff as Alfred. Um, And I want to do what they had not done yet is I want to bring Nicole Kidman back as Chase Meridian and continue. Really? Yes, I do. Because I feel like Number one, it leads into my story, but number two, like it would be nice to see the relationship continue because 
Batman ends. The first one ends with like, it, it seems like Vicky Vale and Batman are fine. And then she's not in the next movie. Right. This movie ends with them kind of being fine. So it would be nice to see her actually come back and not do the James Bond thing where he, you know, just kind of sees the girl bangs her. And then at the end of the movie, she's gone. And the next movie he has a new chick. Okay. Um, so I just thought that might be more interesting. Cause I mean, there's a flip side and that this is where we'll get into my story of like, if she's a doctor and she moved to Gotham to do these things, just because even if her and Batman broke up, it's not like she leaves. Right. You know, Oh, I, I broke up. I guess I'm going to leave the town and leave my job. Yeah. Most people don't do that. Um, I do keep, I'm going to keep Chris O'Donnell as Robin. He's not great, but he's not horrible enough for me to be like, let's get rid of him. And of course my favorite, I keep Val Kilmer's Batman. Okay. And- so the, pr- the principal cast, you keep the same, the same stars, um, and the same, you know, for now we'll call it a love interest. So for the most part, the principal cast is staying the same. Yes. I don't, I, I've part of why I want to do a sequel is cause I want to see all these people back. Okay. You know, and it kind of goes in line. Like I said, they've already established a lot of these guys. So let's just keep them and have fun and do something that usually happens as Gordon's in like three scenes. And then we never see him again. Which is why I think you can keep Pat Hingle. Cause at the end of the day, he has Gordon in these movies never really does much he you know i think the most he does is in the first michael keaton movie honestly um so it's kind of harmless to just keep him around because hey what does he do well and honestly up until batman year one gordon is kind of that guy he he talks to batman but he's not on the daily adventures with him he's not doing things and you know yeah he's commissioner but they don't give any semblance of his him being any kind of formable presence until you get into uh, Batman year one, when they mm. tell more of Gordon's you know, origin, you're like, Oh no. Yeah. He would have to be capable. He's a cop who made it up the ranks. Mm. Um, so egregious. Yes. But at the same time, let's just keep going with it because it's worked so far in the movies. And Michael um, Goth as Alfred is, is a gem. Yes. He's yes. So sir. No, no problems. And you know, him and Val Kilmer had great, chemistry in the movies before especially because they were you know good buddies in top secret so you know reuniting oh, two right. actors is fun <laughs> I, for- I forgot they were in that together <laughs> yeah you'd have enough salt to, to for the adult country <laughs> well you know what michael goff as alfred has good chemistry with all the batmans honestly like i think he's i think he's good with all of them when you're a solid actor you have good chemistry with everybody it's true that's true. And, you know, so, all right. So then what my story would be and why I wanted to keep Chase Meridian and kind of going in some of the stuff we've talked about or some gifts you may have received lately is I want my entire movie to take place at Arkham. And I even may even want to call it Batman Arkham Asylum or Batman a nine in Arkham and with a K, you know? Um, uh. And what happens is, is that Scarecrow I, well, my my plot is this: is the opening of the movie is Batman and Robin taking out the ventriloquist, and the ventriloquist. Yep, yep. They take the ventriloquist okay. out. They put him in in Arkham, and when they put him there, Chase Meridian, Nicole Kidman's character, goes there to work with him. While she's there, of course, she sees the Riddler, who is completely crazy, and then. <clears throat> She is working with a new uh, kind of intern-ish character called Dr. Quinzel. 
And mm. what you find out is as the movie kind of progresses is that Scarecrow ends up taking over Arkham with the help of all these different people. And Dr. Quinzel is kind of in on it. Um, okay. And the movie becomes Batman and Robin having to go into Arkham to put all these criminals back into the, in their places to go through this, this, you know, this maze of what Arkham is and ultimately defeat Scarecrow before he releases the toxin all over the place. So you have like an Arkham that has nothing but toxin in it. So all of these villains are totally nuts and they're trying to fight their way through to stop Scarecrow and also to, uh, to save Chase Meridian. Okay. So, now the cool thing about my story is it brings a lot of thing in. You can kind of have Car- uh, you can have Harley Quinn. Scarecrow is a character who had not been done before. You can bring back the Riddler for some quick scenes. The ventriloquist can kind of come in and out with his madness, and then um, <clears throat> pardon me. But I think it kind of lends to. It doesn't have to be super dark, but it does kind of be. It's more of a concise story, and you know, there's absolutely no reason for there to be neon. And in a sane asylum, so we don't have to have any of that stuff. <laughs> oh, they'd find a way. They'd find a way, especially yeah. if you're going to have scarecrow hallucinations. That's like, true. That's true. Um. So, so that's it's inter- So it's interesting because, and as because I, I think you've said you've never really played the the Batman Arkham video games, have you? I played, I believe. Arkham City. I played a little okay. bit, not a lot, not enough to know. Like I know being in the zeitgeist of all the geekdom, I know the story beats and what happens in every single one of them. But I've never actually played them beyond okay. like twenty minutes. If that makes sense. No, that's fine. Because because what you're describing, um, and I, and I, I don't mean this as, as as a dig at all, just a statement of fact. Is it sounds like a slightly slightly blended elements of the Arkham Asylum video game and the Arkham Knight video game, because in the Arkham Knight video game, Scarecrow is very much the main villain. He's taught he's unleashing fear toxin on people. And in Arkham Asylum, he's there and you have to go through the occasional like uh, fear toxin hallucination challenge map. Um, and and so that's that's interesting because it, it's it's elements of that that I really like. And I and having all these different uh, having to kind of keep the island of Arkham Asylum under control is a really cool, interesting way when you mix it with Scarecrow to make it kind of a horror film. Well, and I and and I also kind of, <laughs> unlike the comics, when they're making these movies, they don't think past the movies. So all the other characters have been used. Like, you know, Joker died <laughs> in the first yeah, Batman no, he's, movie. He yep. is dead <laughs> can't bring him back can't bring two-face back he died you yeah. know uh and i did not want to touch any of the characters from the alleged batman and robin <laughs> movie so i wanted to yeah, go yeah, in a, we, we, we we live in a time where that didn't happen so yeah. don't worry about it well and the funny thing too is like after i did i came up with this idea and i cast it and i started looking at like what was going on there was a proposed fifth batman movie that is very similar to the movie I came up with <laughs> that Joel Schumacher wanted to make, but because Batman and Robin f- is not successful, they cancel it. Mm-hmm. So luckily, you know, hopefully nobody comes after me for this, but yeah, so that is, that was kind of my storyline that I thought of. That would be a fun 
a, a way to do a story that would not lean more into the ridiculousness that Batman and Robin does, but also keep it kind of dark. You know, don't it, like I said, it doesn't have to go super dark. Right. Definitely have some intensity. And look, part of what I love Batman Forever for beyond the previous two Batman movies is that Batman actually got to do cool action scenes. He's he's acrobatic. He can actually fight. He does cool kicks. And to see more of that and Chris O'Donnell or the Robin character do all that stuff with them, I think would be crazy because this is this is now 98, 99 or 97, 98. This is post rumble in the Bronx. So the Asian invasion is happening. Right. So if you're not bogged down into the ridiculousness, you could kick in the action with the martial arts. And I think that would be a lot of fun if, you know, WB leaves him alone and lets him does what he wants. Yeah. Okay. Um, (laughs) (laughs) Which, Um, yeah, yeah. Which, yeah, knowing what we know nowadays, it's, that's not happening. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Um, so let's. All right, then let's let's um, let's talk about who's who's doing what here because you've introduced uh, quite a few interesting characters, and I, I'm I'm really curious to hear. So we know that the principal cast is hanging around: Val Kilmer, Chris O'Donnell, Nick, uh, Nicole Kidman. The first one you mentioned, the first one that made me scratch my head is Ventriloquist. Now, this is a character that I'm a big fan of that I have long said could not work in a Batman movie. So. Uh, sell me on this. Who, 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 what, what are we doing here? Uh, the ventriloquist. What I think about is now memory serves. Did you read the, the Nightwing run from the nineties that Scott McDaniel was drawing? That was one of the first series I started collecting actually. Okay. Do you remember when the ventriloquist is in that and he doesn't have the dummy? So he has the sock on his hand. Oh yeah. So ultimately, oh, wow. What you're dealing with is the ventriloquist is schizophrenic. He has two personalities and the, cause I mean, no, it, they play with it in the comic back and forth. Sometimes it seems like it's supernatural. Mm-hmm. Sometimes it's actually, he has, you know, he's, he's got, um, you know, multiple personalities. So I'm leaning into that and that this sure. puppet is his escape to do what he wants. So almost like a, almost like what we had with moon Knight, where, it's it's just this whole other person that he's kind of becoming and communicating with. Correct. And you could almost say that, like, even though he puts a sock on his hand to do the puppet, when he's talking to it in his mind, he sees the puppet that he had created. Right. Yeah. It, depending on how crazy you want to be. But I thought what would be fun is. It's a psychological villain that. Like more often than not, Batman's way to defeat a villain is to beat the crap out of him. <laughs> Yeah, pretty much. So, so to have a villain that maybe that's how you have to defeat him. So to defeat him at the top and then have him come back and then you have to figure out another way to defeat this guy. Or maybe he's changed so much while he's there. Who knows? Um, but I cast Tim Roth as the ventriloquist. So wow. You, you got to think this is Four Rooms era. This is Rob Roy era. This is not far removed from Reservoir Dogs. Not far removed from us, a couple of years after that. So this is around that time frame where he's up and coming and he's putting in amazing performances, but he hasn't become the stereotypical villain he becomes in the early 2000s. Okay. Okay. All right. Sorry. You're, Sorry. you're good. I'm, 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 I'm picturing this in my head right now. Um, <laughs> it's, it's, Yeah. Oh, I should have muted that. Sorry. 
<laughs> You're good. I'll cut around it. It's like whatever these headphones do to cancel out sound has just put the, the vacuum of my head in extreme. <laughs> All right, I'm back. Ready? Yeah, Three, good. two, one. But I really think about his character in Four Rooms who has like this kind of weird quirkiness to him. I don't know if you've seen that movie, but... It's been a bit, but yeah. Yeah, he just kind of... Because he's the, the Mater D that goes through all of those different storylines. Yeah. So given that kind of weird, like I'm not a superhero, I'm not super dangerous, I'm just kind of this random guy who's going through this situation, and the puppet is the dangerous guy, I think would be would be fun and I think he'd be able to eat it up. Yeah, because at around around the time this was this we're talking ninety seven is when Batman and Robin came out. So we'll just we'll we'll play with the idea that this comes out in nineteen ninety seven. I mean he's doing Deceiver, he's doing Hoodlum, Gridlocked, um you know, four rooms is in ninety five, so it's as well as Rob Roy. Um yeah. and, and Pulp Fiction was just was the year before that in ninety four. So um and I think I think the role he plays in Pulp Fiction as part of that that couple that you know is taking over, yeah. is trying to take over the diner or whatever. I think that that role in particular is one that they'd be looking at specifically as, uh, uh, mm, okay, so maybe this guy, especially when he's when he's got to do the personality of Scarface, would play yeah. into that really well. Yeah. Yeah. And that's where I just, and, and honestly, dude, I'm, I'm going to be, I'm going to take it really far back and just say, uh, Tim Roth had me at Rosencrantz and Guildenstern are dead. Like it wasn't until the sex, second time I watched that. I was like, Oh, Hey, that's Gary Oldman. <laughs> I, I haven't seen that in probably almost two decades. <laughs> I haven't seen Rosencrantz and Guildenstern are dead in probably 20 years. I love that movie. It's so ridiculous, but great. I need to go back and watch that now but makes absolutely no sense if you don't know Hamlet. So none whatsoever. Yeah. Yeah. We started watching it and, and Ryan, my wife was like, I don't understand what's happening. I was like, Oh, it's Hamlet. She's like, I never read Hamlet. I was like, all right. So I stopped it. We went and rented Hamlet with Kenneth Branagh, watched that, and then went back and watched Rosagrads and killed his turn dead. And then she was laughing because it was hilarious. Yeah. It's good stuff. Um, Um, So uh, Tim Roth is the ventriloquist as Arnold, uh, as what's it? Arnold Palmer. No, that's the no, no. Wow, not even close. <laughs> uh, like w- Wesker or Weskler or something like that. I think that. that's what it is. Yeah. Um, and and he's just and he's not going to be like like he's a he's a main role in this kind of like he comes back. He's the cold opening guy who keeps coming back while they're going through Arkham. Like he's one of the guys they run into again, but he's not the main villain. Okay. Like I said, he's like the cold open the first 20, 30 minutes. I mean, you think about like, um, what's it called? When you think about Batman Forever, like Two Face is the cold opening, but then he doesn't come back until halfway through the movie. That's true. So That's that true. would be kind of like this. It's like once they're in Arca, maybe at one point they run into him and now he's something they have to get past because he's got revenge on his mind with him. <laughs> you know what I mean? That's true. So that, that's, that's kind of where, where I would put him in, you know, however often they want to bring him in. But I, I would just say like, maybe he's got two or three scenes at the end 
or maybe right. he's cha- him and you know his quote unquote puppet and whoever he's Arnold Wesker is his name by the way. Oh, Wesker, okay. But or whoever whatever gang he's created in there, they're chasing Batman and Robin and maybe you know kind of pull a little a la cult where Robin says like, look, we're not going to be able to outrun these guys. I'm going to have to stop and fight them. You go, you go do this. Right. Okay. So anyway, so that, yeah, yeah. All right. So my right. other guy, go ahead. No, say, so that gets us through, uh, that gets us through, through the ventriloquist. Um, but let's get to the main meat of this thing. Let's get into, all right, who, who who's playing your scarecrow? This one was kind of a weird find because you know what? what usually happens when I'm doing this stuff back when I was doing it for fanboy junction is like, I think of somebody, especially when it's older, like doing this kind of like older casting and going this guy. And then you look at their IMDb and you're like, no, because honestly what I was originally thinking about was Russell Crowe, but realizing like he's six months from the, from gladiator. He's too big by this point, but yeah, that's true. But L.A. Confidential is like a year before this. And his co-star, which we talked about, and then we said not to because of things. So I went with his other co-star, which is Guy Pierce. Interesting. So getting into a doctor who is good looking, suave, nice, puts that scarecrow mask on, completely different situation. So almost like the... the, um, what is opposite of Batman? I forgot what that word is called, but like he could be like the guy who's maybe he's actually a doctor at Arkham and, and he's doing like, Batman. yeah, he's nice. He's good looking. He's chases coworker. Maybe there's a weird, like, Oh, you're dating Bruce Wayne. I thought we could date blah, blah, whatever. Mm-hmm. I don't know. And then of course he, you know, becomes the villain or is the villain of the story. You know, I don't know if it's revealed beginning and maybe middle that he's actually Scarecrow who has been doing this stuff, you know, but I just think, you know, thinking about something like Memento, where okay. he's just, you know, plays that weird offness a little bit. And then, um, but I also just like him. Like, he's always good in everything I've seen him in. Right. I like Guy Pierce a lot. Like, I don't like Iron Man 3, but I do like Guy Pierce in it. I think he does a good, convincing villain, um, especially when you get the hair slicked back and those glasses on him. Um, I think that he's a, he, he's a very good villain. Um, I'm trying to, I'm pulling up his, his uh, filmography here. Yeah. You said LA confidential is right around this time. Um, he'd done, uh, he was only played Errol Flynn in, in, in the, in the Flynn biopic, which is funny. Um, but yeah, like a couple years later is memento. Um, the time machine is not long after that. The count of Monte Cristo, he plays, uh, he plays Mondego. Um, he's a guy with a lot of range and a lot of variation in what he can do. And he's also just kind of like you said, like he's just kind of a good looking, charming guy. And I think that helps play into the fear that would the fear elements of Scarecrow really well. He's, he can be very disarming. Yeah, because like, look, Killian Murphy's a great actor, but he's just born to be a villain. <laughs> hundred percent hundred percent the moment he steps on screen it's like no that's a scarecrow that's a bad guy we need to get out of here right now yeah (laughs) 
And then, uh, so Harley Quinn, Dr. Quinzel, I kind of feel bad that I'm bringing her in, but I feel like at this time she is really becoming popular. You know, the, the cartoon has been out for a while. Um, Mad Love has been released. I think there's something you can do with this. And even if she's just an intern who at the end of it all has some kind of bad reaction to the fear talks and it becomes the villain at the very end of the movie. And that's your sequel. I have no idea. Uh, but, uh, I super cheated. I may have just created this role to put one of my favorite actresses of all time into this movie. And that's Carla Gacchino. <laughs> oh, okay. She's awesome. And even though I think she's just gorgeous and, Fantastic. She is a fantastic actress. And this is like, not to say her prime, but this is as she's coming up. She says, this is snake eyes. This yeah. is right before she does spy kids. Well, um, she does. She does son-in-law. She does. Yes. Um, uh, she does Michael, which is the John Travolta angel movie. She, this is around the time where she does uh, love life. I mean, she is popping up everywhere she's the voice of a lot of people don't she's the voice of delilah in homeward bound two not homeward bound one just homeward bound two uh yeah she's popping up all over the place around this time and interesting side note she is the voice of the machine of the ship in man of steel oh that's right i forgot about that but also around this time, like she in TV wise, like she had done, she had been in Quantum Leap and she had been in the Wonder Years and, and Spin uh, City. Yes, yeah, so, uh, Spin City, Doogie Howser, uh, an episode of that short lived uh, Fairless Bueller uh, TV show that existed, kids. Um, yeah. yeah, she's, yeah, she's popping up everywhere at the time. So this is where she really, I mean, you said she's really. Uh, just showing up left and right. So, and then obviously years later, she would play Sally Jupiter and Watchmen. But, um, yeah, this is kind of when she's really on everyone's radar. Well, and she's one of those rare actresses, like you're saying right now. But even thinking about like she's never not working, and I'm yeah. really surprised she has never become bigger. But she is. Me too. Well, no, I know. I'm just saying, like, because she is been the lead of like four or five different TV shows. Yeah. You know, she's just, she's always fantastic for all the reasons and everything she's in. Um, you know, cause nobody yeah. could pull off Sally Jupiter's original costume. Like she could, I'm sorry. Just that's, not that's a hard, that's a hard costume to pull off. Yeah. I mean, it, it just, it just is <laughs> and not and I, be ridiculous. And I did have a weird moment at one point, and you may need to cut this out, where like uh, <laughs> looking at pictures of Carla Gacchino and looking uh -huh. at my wife and going like, do I like Carla Gacchino because she reminds me of my wife? Or did I marry my wife because she reminds me of Carla Gacchino? <laughs> That's funny. That's funny. So I'm still leaving that in. That's funny. <laughs> she knows she knows so it's okay <laughs> well but like you said i mean she continues to get work to this day i mean she actually you said she was the voice of the computer in, in man of steel and bbs and justice league she actually did it again in an episode of supergirl well and she's also has her own show uh jet which ran yeah. for i think two seasons i don't um, even think it ran that long i think it only ran like nine episodes no i 
I don't know. Yeah, but, I mean, point is, she is always there. She's always been working. She's, you know, be in the geeky kind of stuff, comic book movies, or just, you know, indie stuff. She continues to work and continues to be great. Well, she still is. I mean, Netflix is currently working on a uh, Fall of the House of Usher miniseries, and she's going to be uh, in that along with Bruce Greenwood. They announced that, I think, last year or earlier this year. Um, she was in that that Haunting of Hill House series that was on Netflix, which was terrifying, by the way. Like, it was so good. <laughs> um that they brought her back as the uh, in, in another role in the in the in the second season. So yeah, she is just she never stopped. It's just yeah, it's shocking she was never bigger because she is always working. It's she's one of those people just you can just count on to be in stuff. Well, and given how much consistent work she gets, she probably doesn't need to be bigger. She's getting paid. <laughs> yeah, no, she's fine. She's paying the bills. She's good. She's good. And then honestly, as far as director, I would keep Joel Schumacher. Like as much as people want to poo-poo him or crap on him for Batman and Robin, like Lost Boys, you know, See, Lost, um, Lost Boys is so good. <laughs> you know, I, I I still stand by like if you get rid of the villains, Batman Forever is really good. Like yeah. the first ten minutes of Batman Forever are the most Batman Batman has ever been up until I would say the recent Batman movie. Well, and like, tell me a time to kill isn't a good movie. Yeah. Tell yeah. me a time to kill isn't a good isn't a good movie. Um, well, the client the client's a good movie. Tommy Lee Jones, Susan Sarandon, that's a good movie. The dudes made good movies. It's just yeah, sometimes you make ones that are so bad they define the rest of your career. And I'm looking at you, Batman and Robin. Um, and his Phantom of the Opera is not good, but I actually like the number twenty three that Jim Carrey horror movie. Yeah, it's not bad. It's really not. Um. Granted, he also made phone booth, and I can't fucking stand phone booth at all. But, um, <laughs> but he also he was a director on several episodes of House of Cards. Yeah, I mean, you're like, look, St. Elmo's Fire, The Lost Boys, The Client. Yeah. Um, I don't mind that Phantom of the Opera, but that's just because I'm a sucker for singing Leonidas. Um, I, he's the reason I don't really like that movie. But anyway, um, look, look, bro, bro, he he directed DC Cab. What are we talking about here? <laughs> anyway thank you for thank you for listening to the last episode of this show um, <laughs> no, here's another eight millimeter like that movie yeah. was weird but it was intense yeah. i i enjoyed it well and for that to be the first thing he does after batman and robin too yeah yeah he, after batman and robin he kind of didn't do anything for a bit because that's how much batman and robin tanked um yeah. but i mean yeah joel schumacher was a was a, was a good director he just made some crap that's all um yeah. it happens every director makes a stinker there is no director with a flawless filmography find me one uh Even Steven Spielberg has a bad movie no who is the other guy um Dwight H. Little <laughs> sure yeah <laughs> I know his movies <laughs> You have no idea, do you? Not a clue. <laughs> Not a clue. He directed uh, Rapid Fire and Mark for Death. He's like a, he did a bunch of martial arts movies. All right, whatever. But it's well, just, but like, I mean, Spielberg directed The Lost World. Yeah. Which, look, it's not the worst Jurassic Park sequel. Not a good movie. Correct. Yeah. It's not a good. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. The, the Tom Cruise War of the Worlds. It's really not a good movie. Um, it's just not. <laughs> yeah but i digress um so 
so we're we're sticking with Joel Schumacher directing uh this this uh Batman Forever sequel. Um what are we calling this thing? Uh I mean I I would go Batman not a night in Arkham, but that might be a little too too much. It's the, um, it's the mid nineties. I don't think they were doing. Yeah, they want the one elaborate titles one like that. I, I don't know. Uh, I'd, I'd go Bat Batman Terror, Batman Arkham, or what if it was just Batman Asylum? I mean, you could do that. Or, or yeah, Batman Arkham. You know, because because the thing is, when you call it something like Batman Arkham, you know, people who because at the time again, comic book movies aren't popular. So calling it Batman Arkham is probably going to have the general public scratching their head. Like, well, what does that mean? But if you call it Batman asylum. Yeah. Um, or, you know, I don't know. Batman fear, Batman triumphant. I don't know. <laughs> Something like that. Something like that. But yeah. Um, Batman's revenge. I don't know. Um, no, there's a lot. I mean, there's, there's a lot of options you can go with. It's just trying to, trying to title something the way they would call it in the nineties when, geek yeah. culture is not a thing yeah batman continues <laughs> <laughs> batman strikes back returns again <laughs> yeah yeah batman strikes that would be a good one actually it sounds yeah. dumb but it sounds, it, sounds, it, it sounds it sounds incredibly 90s yeah it would be yeah very because i mean let's be honest like what the hell kind of a name for a movie is batman forever yeah like seriously like honestly it's if it was the fourth movie sure but it wasn't it was the third it doesn't make sense yeah <laughs> it's just yeah. A, it's just the title <laughs> yeah but but no i that's where i think it would go and it would be i think you'd have a lot of fun and like you know get give chris o'donnell the time to be actually be robin again and you know let val kilmer play with with an action version of batman i, I mean he i know he's not the guy who's doing most of the fighting in the movie but I still think his performance is 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 great, and there is allegedly a Schumacher director's cut of this movie. That's what I've heard. And Schumacher said it's there, but he didn't want to release it. But I think like either his kid or somebody associated with him is now trying to push it to <sighs> to. And I'm back and forth. I've seen some of the deleted scenes; they're not great. I'd, but, I'd rather they just release the deleted scenes. I don't need, and, and I'm someone who was very much a fan of the uh, championing the Snyder cut, but like, you know, I don't need a, I don't need a super director's cut of every movie. I think in this one in particular was as far removed as it is. It's like, unless it's a, va- unless, cause like with the Snyder cut, it was a vastly different movie. Yes. So unless you're going to put out something that is like, that is akin to a vastly different movie, just release the deleted scenes. Yes. Yes. So, yeah, and, and you're right. Like director's cut are always kind of back and forth. Like I the payback director's cut is crap. But the Kingdom of Heaven director's cut is amazing. If you haven't seen it, you should watch it. Okay. Um but yeah, that would be mine. Batman Strikes, starring Val Kilmer, Chris O'Donnell, Nicole Kidman, Pat Hingle, and Michael. Why am I doing it? You've got the voice, bro. Because you're the one who's got all this stuff in front of you. To, to, <laughs> I can't remember everything. You do it. <laughs> Let's see. <clears throat> Batman Strikes, starring Val Kilmer, Chris O'Donnell, Nicole Kidman, reprising their roles as Gordon Alfred, Ma- Pat Hingle, and Michael Goff. Scarecrow by Guy Pierce, the ventriloquist Tim Roth, and as always, Carly Cuccino. 
Carly Gugino, because she was just in everything in the 90s and frankly con- continues to be in everything to this day. Hey, look, for you got to think the thing that always surprised me about her is the fact that she was willing to play the mom of kids that were chronologically, you know, the right age to be her kids, where most actresses don't play a mom until they're in their 40s. That's very true. Like, that's I, very true. I commend her for that because I was like, yeah, that no one, no actress does that. And she just, you know, not, not and it's not even like it's like, oh, I have a little child. I mean, they're like 12 and 10. <laughs> but I, I think that also speaks to why she was always getting work, because she just she was she was not she wasn't a shallow actress. Correct. Um, but that's that's something for the Carla Gugino podcast that Matt will be starting very soon here. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> With that being said, uh, that is Matthew's take on a on the Batman Forever sequel that could have been but never was. Uh, we would love to know what you guys think of Matthew's picks, or maybe you have a few picks of your own for what he what was pitching here. Uh, you can let us know on Twitter. You can find me on Twitter at Mr. Mike Shea. You can find me at Mr. J Ninja. And until next time, we will be back with another episode of We Are the Batman. Same bat podcast channel, same bat time. I screwed that up. Who cares? Let's just, it's done. It's over with Matthew. Play me out, Matt.